best thing a racer can have is a short memory or you just be bummed all the time. Cause I mean, you just don't win that much, you know, like rarely are you lucky enough like Jet Lawrence to win every race. So it's just part of the deal, you know, and I think it's just how you handle them in the pits. Episode 162, Tank Slatten Podcast. Doing something a little different today. We have a really cool show lined up. We are going to interview three different dads in the sport, kind of different eras a little bit. Talk to them about their upbringing with their child, their son, sons, <laughs> and get some insight on what it was like taking them to the races, seeing them develop. Uh, all three are very accomplished riders uh, with uh, really cool dads, really interesting uh, dads who have all rode and raced a little bit. So we have Nick Daniels coming on, the father of Dallas Daniels, who is doesn't really need an introduction. He is uh, was runner-up this year in the AFT Twins class. He's a two-time singles champion, road racing Horizon Award winner, dirt track Horizon Award winner. So we're going to get Nick Daniels on. He had a national number himself and was he's a really, really fast. I don't know if he's still fast. We'll have to ask him, but he's still – when I remember watching Nick ride, he was a really fast rider. So we'll get Nick Daniels on. We have Ken Coolbeth Sr. coming on, which I'm really excited about. I've known Mr. Coolbeth for a long time now. I used to spend a lot, a lot of time with Kenny up at his house in Connecticut training and um, just kind of following Kenny around, man. He really took me under his wing when I was a young pro, and it's a big reason why I'm such a Coolbeth fan is uh, is because of Kenny and his dad and and Bet and everybody over there. at Their, uh, their whole family is just amazing. So I'm happy to have Ken Coolbeth Sr. coming on, talk about Kenny growing up through the ranks, amateur youth days. He was a really, really fast youth rider. I mean, he's a three-time champion. He's won a singles title um, when the t- uh, the championships were split. And he's a Hall of Famer, man, Kenny Coolbeth Jr. So we'll get Mr. Ken Coolbeth Sr. on, who works with AFT, does some stuff as well, and he's got a really cool background. And then we're going to get Willie Halbert on the show, man, the the creator of the Cool Bus with uh, his son, Sammy, and and Jethro, who we miss, um, growing up in Washington, Willie is a very interesting guy and somebody that I really, I really enjoy talking to, and I think he's hilarious. So uh, we'll get him on the show as well and talk about the upbringing of uh, of Jethro and Sam. Uh, he's he had two, you know, two riders coming up through that were, you know, so that's going to be an interesting kind of concept for those out there who have, you know, two, three kids who are racing. Kind of how you juggle that as well. So. This is going to be a really, really cool episode. I'm, I'm pumped up for this one. I want to do, it's kind of one I've been wanting to do for a while, honestly. This has like been a been a goal of mine to put this together, and I'm excited to to get it together and, and make it happen. But before we bring on our first guest, which is Nick Daniels, I want to make sure we shout out the sponsors that make this show happen. Mission Foods, title sponsor of the podcast. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to do this. So really appreciate Mission Foods and all they all they do to support us. Bell Power Sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. I wear the Race Star Flex. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Our friends at Yamaha Motors and Yamaha Racing, check out their website, yamahamotorsports.com. Motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. I just got the new 50th anniversary edition. Finally, it came in the Yamaha YZ450F. It's such an amazing motorcycle. I have so much fun riding that bike. And it's crazy how how far along these 450s have come since they came out in in 2002. So it's yeah, it's going to be 
a lot of fun putting laps on that this winter Indian motorcycle. They are huge supporters of the sport, huge supporters of what we're doing. And we're appreciative of them supporting our podcast. If you can go out, test ride a motorcycle, buy some motor clothes and just support those who support what we're doing. Moto America, our friends at Moto America, uh, Daytona, it'll be here before you know it, the Daytona 200, make sure you get your tickets. If you're in Daytona during bike week, come check it out. If not, Subscribe to that Moto America Live Plus package. It's an amazing product that they put they put out there. It's it's the be- I think it's the best live live streaming uh, deal in racing. Like they do such a good job with it. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, nineteen inch to seventeen inch flat track off road street. Check out their website dunlopmotorcycletires.com. And a big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas keeps our keeps our show going since day one. He's been with us and. He keeps us going. Like if I, you know, didn't have anything else or any other sponsors on the podcast, Jerry is so supportive and, and keeps us going. So yeah, make sure you guys uh, go on there and, and uh, follow those sponsors and supporters and make sure you thank them for making this possible without their help. We wouldn't be able to put these, these podcasts out and uh, yeah, they make it happen. So without any further ado, I think we got Nick Daniels on the line. What's up, Nick? How are you? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man. Appreciate you coming on, dude. I was just uh, doing my intro, and this is uh, this like whole dad's podcast is one that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I'm kind of doing it with different errors. Like I have um, like Ken Coolbeth Senior coming on later. I have Willie Halbert, which I'm that's going to be uncensored for sure. I'm excited for that. And then you're currently like pr- you know producing help and being a dad to Dallas as he's coming up through the ranks. And you also have a really cool dynamic because you're also part of that essence and team with, with Dallas. And, you know, you pretty much, what's your job actually at essence. And like, I know you work with, um, I think it's Tom drain right now, but I know you're really involved in that singles program. Yeah. Ever since uh, I came on, I guess I was kind of running the singles program at first. I was just crew chief and Ryan and, overseeing Dallas and then yeah my role's always pretty much be to run the program and I crew chief Trevor last year this year I'll just be helping Dustin say he's going to be working with uh, Tom and uh, we've kind of switched things around a little bit so still just managing that and overseeing it and then I can get away and watch Dallas too because I mean everybody knows him it's hard to be there and not watch your son or you know stay in tune yeah. with what he's yeah, absolutely. Um, I talked about you on the show prior to you coming on as well about how you had a national number. And I said, I caught myself. I was like, he was fast, but I, I assume you still ride and you are fast. I just remember, I haven't seen you ride in a while. Um, but when I used to watch you, like I was, I was a kid growing up, but you're still fast, right? I mean. Oh, I don't know if I'd say that, but I, I enjoy riding. That's for sure. I think I am, but I don't know. It's All right. Well, closer to 50 yeah yeah no dude it's i don't know uh, if i was, um, was fast you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh you're 50 now is that how old you are no but i'm getting close i'm on the final year oh. i'll be 49 in february in the big so 50 that's class, crazy yeah i know yeah that's crazy that's crazy yeah i mean it makes sense though because i'm 36 and i don't really realize how old i am until i look at I don't know, like somebody that was like when I was when I turned pro, I was watching like Cameron Smith and Brandon Price on like 50s. And now it's like, holy shit. <laughs> it's like, well, they're in their 20s so or whatever. So now it's 
it hits you quick when you see how, how other people are, are aging. You're like, well, I guess that's, that's what happens. But, um, yeah. So talk about that, man. Like you have Dallas, um, coming up through the ranks, obviously when he was born, you were still probably, you still had a pro card, right? So how, how did you juggle that? And is that kind of why your career, like you start, you stopped sort of chasing the the pro stuff because of Dallas or were there, were there other reasons? No, pretty much. Um, like he started racing, I kind of stopped because he started in 08. I kind of still trailed on just having fun and doing stuff till 12. But, you know, like I wasn't a retired guy. Like you retired, you know, Jared's going to retire. Scotty Parker retired. I just stopped going to the races, you know. So I didn't really have like a career in it. It was more like a serious hobby. But, um, yeah, at first, you know, I was just still trying to race all the time. And if you talk to his mom, Chris, you know, I'm sure I was – wasn't there doing the things I needed to do because I was still trying to just try to be a racer so hard, you know, or think I was maybe going to get a ride or do this. So I definitely have a few regrets in there that I wasn't with the kids as much as I should have been or, you know, wanted to be now that they're older and, you know, wish they were young. But so it was, it was hard to juggle stuff, but, uh, you know, I just kind of made it happen, did the races I could, what we could afford or what fit into our schedule and just, you know, for me, I was just trying to make a national. So I really didn't want to quit without making one because I kind of went through my main part of my career and never made a national and still never made one on a Harley. But then I kind of was doing the single stuff. You know, then singles were on the short tracks and TT. So those are the only events I could try. So I was just still trying to do those and then hit local pro stuff to stay, stay doing it. So. Yeah. I mean, but for people listening that have just tuned in or all of these young kids that listen, um, the singles class, like when Nick was running, I mean, there was a hundred, 110 riders that would show up and they took 18 in the main event. So I, I honestly think, um, some people would feel otherwise, but I think the singles cl- uh, races were harder to make the main event than, than the twins races were. And granted the twins, it was still hard. Like you went to Indy mile or Springfield, there was 55, 60 riders, but um, sure, you could yeah. go to the half miles and there'd be 35 to 40, you know, it'd be quite a bit easier where no singles races like Daytona, the Springfields, um, they all had a hundred plus riders. So, yeah, I mean, it was to make a singles main during that time was, uh, dude, that was, that was a huge, huge accomplishment. I mean, I, I almost, I almost kind of relate it to maybe like, like compared to now, like a top, almost a top five finish now, top seven, if you're making that. If you do the math, we'd have to fucking do the math. But if you sit down and, you know, 100, 110 riders, you make, you know, the top 18 that make the main, it's, that was a huge accomplishment. But, um, but yeah, yeah so make when, 32, put it on the truck and watch and the heat races, you know? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I, dude, I, my first national at Daytona, I, there was a hundred and 110 riders. And I was pretty, you know, I was a pretty good amateur rider. I was probably a little, little cocky, arrogant going into it. And, I didn't make either, either race. And I think they took the top 60 at Daytona. <laughs> so I, I didn't even make the heat races. My dad, my dad was with Shane at the amateur races and he showed up <clears throat> after the race, which, um, you could probably argue he probably shouldn't, he probably should have been at my first pro race, but he went with Shane at Volusia and, uh, he showed up and I was undressed and, uh, yeah, I didn't even make the, didn't even make the, the heat races. So, um, yeah, yeah underrated how into your friends that didn't race, like, how'd you do? Well, I didn't really get the didn't make the show he didn't make the main no no i didn't i didn't really get to even ride to try they didn't <laughs> friends i know 
but there were great riders that didn't make it either. Like I remember the one year, um, like the one year Brian Bigelow, he didn't, I mean, he's this guy that won, he's won nationals and he didn't, he didn't make the, uh, the heat races the first day, or I think it was the first day. And the second day he got like a top 10 in the main event. Um, it's yeah, crazy. So, yeah. Um, so talking with Dallas, when did, uh, I mean, was it always the plan that he was going to kind of race? I mean, I guess kind of, how did that unfold? Um, I guess you guys sort of miss like the Strider Stasic error. Uh, so he was probably, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Like what his first bike was, how old he was. And when you knew, like when you knew he was ready to actually start riding, because as a racer yourself, uh, I'm not going to lie. When you have a son, like you want to throw him on the bike as soon as they come out, out the womb, like you want to just get it going. So what, yeah. what was that patience level like? Cause for Cruz, I could throw him on a Strider really pretty early where that didn't exist for Dallas. So, yeah, that was nice. We had a bike. I had bought a bike cause I came home from the hospital to a bike. So I wanted him to, but I bought a bike before he was born. We went and actually got it together at the shop. I took him with his little pumpkin seat. Yeah. I used to set him on it, you know, hold his hands on it, whatnot. But, um, I was like, once he got to where he could ride it with training wheels, like early three, I was just in no hurry because I was still racing. I was like, I was going to let him, uh, kind of let him maybe decide. And, um, I wasn't really big to get in the 50 class, you know? So I was like, ah, if we even skip that, I'm cool with that. That's like me and my mentor, Riesel Hart, we always talked about it. Like, ah, would maybe just skip that and do most of that at home. So I was just letting him ride with training wheels. And then right at the end of three, he got off training wheels and started riding the bike. And then I think he was four and I was riding supermoto for this guy, Stormy uh, Chisler. And we were at Springfield. They got a little go-kart track and he was riding a bit at this time, you know, at the house and stuff. And, and he was actually rode that supermoto track. Some, we actually even had a little race there for him on intermission a year ago, a year before that with training wheels and whatnot. But anyways, this night I'm there training and, um, or testing, whatever you want to call it, riding. And at the end of the night, um, we're like, hey, you go out, Dallas, and you can you ride some. And then Stormy was talking to him. He's like, go out there and go your fastest, Dallas. And Dallas is like, like I'm racing. He's like, yeah, like you're racing. So Dallas is out there tooling around. And I've told this story before to Scotty on his podcast. But you know, when your kids out doing something like you might be working in the yard, but you hear what Cruz is doing, like it's just in your ear, you know. And um, I could hear the bike go down the back straightaway because it's long back straight. When I heard the damn thing didn't shut off, and I looked up just in time for him to tip it in the corner man and he just had even from the get-go like nice style his legs cocked up he's opened up his hips but i'm thinking man this kid he doesn't know what he's doing he's gonna because it's like a short, short track corner he went into and then there was a fence but he made it around so i'm running to the track just to stop him because i figured he doesn't know what he's doing and he makes it by me so i don't get get to him and i'm running down the back straightaway well this time he runs it he's still like wide open down the back straightaway and i can see he's entering a little shallow i'm like oh shit he's gonna run wide and and hit this fence well about the time he's maybe going to run wide you just see his leg come up a little more and he just leaned the thing over and drugged the peg and it was just dusk and i could see the spark I'm like oh shit so i get him stopped and i'm like hey how was how was that he's like oh it's good you know he's just a little four-year-old it was cool i was like you want to go race you think you want to try a race he's like yeah so we went to springfield short track was his first race and um he got fourth but they protested the winner i think he had like loud pipe or something so he ended up third in his, his first race so we'll it take it podium <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding 
And then I think he rode seven races and he, he won his seventh race at the end okay. of that year. So but the end of that year, like, you know, this time of year, well, Springfield's obviously in September. We did that. Then I started taking him to motocross and then it was just like wide open. Yeah. I mean, um, before we get into the different disciplines that you kind of took him to go do, um, how important do you feel? Like you said, he got fourth his first race and then he, he, um, I think you said he won his seventh race. So he, so he did a lot of losing like right away. And that's something that I tell people with, with my little guy, it's, it's important for them to lose. And, um, and even like his, like Cruz's first year, he would get a lot of seconds and thirds and it took him a while to finally like win. And, um, how important, how important do you feel it is to lose at an early age? Cause you see a lot of pro riders, who like I think in moto the guy that finishes second all throughout their amateur career, um, like the Villa Potos and the Cooper Webbs, who end up, you know, they have really good careers I think because they learn how to lose. Um, and it's also underrated how how hard it is for a four year old to compete with like a seven or eight year old because the fifty class is four to eight, and that's literally double the eight. Like eight is double the age of a four year old. So. Um, but I like that in, in some regard because it teaches them how to lose. So what are your oh, thoughts on that for, for these young kids? Well, it is. Yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, when kids, especially when they get to the puberty mark, but anything like four, six, eight, you see it in wrestling, you know, that one kid's maybe just months older than the other, but he's just hit that next. So yeah, age is big, but yeah, it's just part of it. And they got to get used to it. Cause I mean, you know, look at how many races we didn't win this year and you just got to get used to, you know, you definitely want to be upset or whatever, but you got to shake it off, go to the next one. I mean, the best thing a racer can have is a short memory or you just be bummed all the time. Cause I mean, you just don't win that much, you know, like rarely are you lucky enough like Jet Lawrence to win every race. So it's just part of the deal, you know, and I think it's just how you handle them in the pits and, and deal with them to how they'll, they'll go on. I mean, if they come in, throw fits, I think that's, like, it's good that they don't want to lose, but, I mean, you've got to get it under control, and they've just got to be able to deal with it because you can't be dealing with this little hothead that's mad every time he loses and throwing a fit. There's got to be, like, an even keel, and it's the dad's responsibility yeah. to, to figure that out and make yeah. that, like, how it needs to be. And that's the biggest yeah, I, thing. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, and I'll say it a lot on this is just learning how to coach your son. Your son probably needs something different than my son, and you've got to put your – your ego aside as a parent or when you want to yell or do this and it's got to come at the right times. The biggest thing I think is learning what your son needs to hear when he needs to hear it and, and taking care of some of that stuff if it's a problem or whatever. Yeah, That's no, I, I agree. I think, I think that passion's good, but you got to channel it. Like I see kids that come in and throw their helmets and I'm like, no man. And that, a lot of that comes from the parents, man. It, it comes from oh, accountability yeah, from the parents. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't have yeah, that. Yeah, no, and... I, but it, it's good, though. Like, and for them to be pissed when they much. lose, it, it means they care. Yeah, and you can't win too much. Like, I see parents, like, they do pretty good, and they almost win 80 class, so they just stick around another year or the 60 when they could have moved up. And it's like, man, just – I always like that one bike he was pretty competitive on and then one that, you know, the next step up, if we could, you know, at that time. But yeah, I, like I, mean, going, some, I mean, I preferred him losing, I guess. I like going where there was tough competition and when you needed it, you know, as soon as he started winning local, that's when we started traveling. And, but yeah, losing just part of it. You got to 
you got to be able to deal with it, obviously. Yeah, I think, like you said, every rider loses more than they win. Um, I mean, yeah. even even great riders, especially in flat track, because it's so competitive, it's so close. And even guys like, uh, yeah, like Dallas and Jared Meese, like if you look, they lost more races this year than, than they've won. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's something you got to kind of deal with and, you know, kind of manage as you uh as you come through but i think a lot of that is is on the parent too and honestly it, a lot of it's underrated how important the parent is in their child's career and how successful they are like you could be you could have the most talented kid out there and if you're not doing your job um as a parent that you're not really setting setting your your kind of your kid up for success but with that being said like you you guys did um a lot of different disciplines you know, like you had dallas doing supermoto you had him doing like you mentioned riding moto and now it dude it, it shines through with dallas like when you see him ride moto he's a great great moto rider and it translates over to flat track and he was doing supermoto and then we went to that atlanta super tt and he was so good there with his supermoto background and he's a road racer um so talk about how you got involved in the different disciplines and how you sort of managed like which ones you did. Cause I'm kind of experiencing the same thing. Like we, we've been right. doing some road racing and when we go practice, it's like, do we practice moto? Do we practice road race? Do we practice flat track? Which bike do we take? Um, right. It's hard to teach a kid all the different forms. Um, especially like Cruz was five years old this past year. And I'm telling him to lean off the bike for road racing, but then you got to get on the right side of the seat and flat track. And then in moto, you want to be on the balls of your feet standing up, you know, it's, um, there's so many different forms and talk about that, like coming up through how you manage that. Well, how I, it's kind of like a two part deal or whatever, how I decided for that to be, I guess, or to go that route is when I race, I just raced dirt track. I mean, I grew up racing the woods and when I got, doing dirt track i just did that all the time and then uh then when i kind of took a step back from that i wanted to try road racing and then when i came back because i was like never a tt guy i was more like i like cushion half miles and stuff because that's where i was riding all the time well then when i when i left the woods i was like a c guy and then when i dirt track went road race and then when i came back from road race and i was like all of a sudden going pretty good at tt's and then I started super motoing and I'm like, oh man, I need to be a better motocrosser. So I went from like a C guy in motocross to like a vet A guy or, you know, a decent local A guy did all that. Well, then when I finally came back to try to make a national in like 05, 06, 07, that's when I was like really competitive and like, you know, could made the national and obviously 06 and 07. And I was like, that's what got me to the little bit. Like I did a lot of little, little things. I didn't make it big, but it helped shape my career, I think, to help build Dallas. So then when I'm going to hit with him, you know, dirt track stuff, right? Everybody thinks it's easy, but it's not. But as a kid, it's pretty easy. You can coast, you know, you can ease around the track. So, like, I wanted him to ride motocross because you cannot coast. You have to be, especially on a 50, you have to be on the gas. So, like, that helped get that going where he had to ride the thing. And since it helped get me better i thought it would be the same thing for him and like i said he had to ride the thing so i think it's kind of what helped shape me so i i kind of wanted to do the same thing with him and i just really no, I, thought it would help i love that speed process and i think it, it did you know well how did you decide then, what you were like on a saturday when there's a moto race and there's a super moto and there's a flat track 
I mean, was the focus always on flat track or was there a time when you sort of. No, it was. Um, I do. We just kind of did moto as it filled in, but we wanted to go to the key dirt track events, you know, the Springfields and all the good ones, you know, amateur nationals, obviously all that. Then the tracks we liked. And then I would fill it in with motocross here, there, um, just depending on what we were doing, how the schedule was. Cause you know, early on we weren't traveling as much. So we did, and I was still like riding moto. So I had him doing some of those cause I guess that's what I was wanting to do too. But we would just, yeah. uh, our dirt track always took precedence. And then once he really like learned how to race, like this is something some people don't understand. Like they go to all these races, but they're, I mean, there's even pros that don't really know how to race yet. You get a guy that knows how to race. He's going to race at that indoor you guys like to go to, or the pit bike track at, at Bushnell or, you know, wherever you go, that guy's a racer. So like once he really got where he could race, like it was kind of started to be in the right at the end of the 80 career that's when we really started traveling around and and kind of needed to uh to find competition and then that's when we kind of just went back to just full-on dirt track really teach him how to race and then when he was like finally got a little bigger and on 125 that's when we started going back to motocross but he was never a kid motocross and that like would do the jumps on 80s or he wasn't that great at motocross he was okay but it was like once he learned how to race on dirt track and then we went back to moto and that other stuff, that's when he really started to pick it up in, in those other areas. As a peewee dad or as a, yeah, as a peewee dad or as a dad of a young racer, what, what class do you think was the most challenging? I mean, you said you kind of, you didn't really do the 50 class too much, but you did a little bit and then you did the 65 no, obviously that, the original plan was not but we ended up full on doing it oh know? okay okay yeah all right so well uh, yeah so what was the most challenging part of that uh, like or what was the most challenging class that you guys sort of went through i mean was it the 50s was it the 80s the 250s i mean what was what were some of the challenges in each in each kind of class or stage of his career um i would say that the 60s 80s you know, moving up, not that shifting or anything was that hard, but he was just little and, uh, you know, dealing with tank slapping and, and whatnot. But the sixties and eighties, you know, we came out his first year at amateur nationals. He won the PW 50 class. And then we won the chain 50 at that time, but there was really nobody in it. There was just three of us that ran it. So that didn't really count. Then the, uh, the next year we went back and he just wasn't really into amateur nationals. We kind of actually ended up leaving midweek cause he just, I don't know. Maybe I was a little over the top right then too, but so we left that year. Then the next year, I think we were 50 seniors and that all went okay. Um, but it was the first years on sixties and eighties, just, you know, those were the tough years. A lot of not winning six, seven. I remember one night at Galesburg, like he wasn't going that good. And then in the main event, he was going pretty good. He comes through and got like a seventh or sixth. And I just remember walking back to the pits and being like, man, it was a good day. And Woody Kyle was, you know, was always a good friend of mine. He's like, hey, I've seen a lot of progress tonight. That was good. And I'm like, all right, somebody else was seeing it, you know. So there's a lot of – but th that was the toughest part for us. And then, like, his last year going on 80s, I think we won 27 races, including amateur nationals. Like, when we, um, like we went to Daytona, won everything, and we won – or when he started winning, whenever I started keeping track, he won, like, 27 races and through amateur nationals. And then the first guy that beat us was Tyler Scott on the half mile. And then this other kid beat us on a half mile. But anyways, um, 
that's when he really started racing and every other class after that he was like he seemed to be competitive right away when we first got on 250s he was like fifth sixth he looked good but we weren't winning or anything i was like oh man the amateur nationals is, it's going to be tough and he didn't even want to do the mile he's like oh he was scared i'm like hey man we'll if you're scared we won't do it but just relax we'll be ready and that's when he kind of started a little bit of training push-ups whatnot we went to canada a bunch and then he was ready for amateur nationals he ended up winning all three classes so there was always some oh, growing pains in those bigger classes but like once he learned how to race then it all transferred over 250s 450s on well know, i think filming. too like you moved him up pretty like you didn't you didn't keep him around like he wasn't i mean you see you know nine-year-old kids ama9 or whatever racing the 50s and you see 12 13 year old kids racing the 85s and you know yeah. you but like you moved him up pretty quick so naturally you know if he was a seven eight nine-year-old kid on an 85 he's going to struggle against 12 13 year olds and same for a 250 if he's sure, yeah. if he's uh you know he just turned 12 and he's racing a 250 against guys that are 15 16 years old um you know naturally like even a 12 year old against a 16 year old i mean that's a that's a young kid against a kid who's you know driving and smoking cigarettes some of them so yeah, it's he, like like i said he went through puberty you've probably seen it with your little brother like when he was wrestling and like bigger guys you know but um yeah we and he's got a late birthday we're like june 19th so we barely make the cutoff for amateur nationals you know yeah yeah, yeah in I, september I it's like the worst <laughs> it's like yeah i would race planning. that way working for the haydens like when i was a teenager we were good friends with the haydens and i would go to amateur nationals with them and i seen how that's kind of how earl did it and so that's how i planned on it like i didn't really care about i know we got good results so it's like people say it's easy for me to say but i didn't really care about those results in amateur racing i wanted the results now this is when I care about the results. So I didn't always have the greatest bike. It was suspended well. It handled well. I did all I could there, but it didn't, like Earl said, don't buy him down the straightaway. So I refrained from that. Except at Amateur Nationals, we would always take a good horse because that was your big day. But um, I didn't really care about the results. So I moved him up and made it tough on him. And because uh, I wanted the results now, and I believe that's what was going to get him. And I watched it get done with the Haydens. And I just kind of used that, that same formula. I always kind of had like Earl Hayden kind of mentoring me as a father a little bit. So that was, that was always good. And yeah. And some people thought like, I remember Carver senior, like when Dallas rode 450 the first time at Canada, he's like, you're going to get that boy hurt or whatever. I'm like, yeah, well you just, you know, that's your opinion. So I, I know, <laughs> I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do what, what I want to do. And, you yeah. Know. Well, it's paid off for sure. Um, when you were coming up through and he was, you know, I think the final year amateur, he won the horizon award on in flat track and in road racing. Um, what, why did you, I mean, at that point you could probably, probably go either direction. Like I know he did some junior cup races in moto America, but he was doing the single stuff in flat track. Um, how do you decide at that point, which direction you're going to go with his career? Because, um, I mean, I would say he was always still like better in flat track, but bro, he was fucking good road racer. He still is. So, um, it's not no. like that could, that would have been a bad option to go. So what, what went into that? Was it just kind of opportunities? Was it the way the, um, was like the series? Like, I mean, what, what, what went into that decision? Cause once you go pro and you want to be the best at either road racing or flat track, 
you have to dedicate so much time to that where an amateur, you can kind of do, you can kind of do a little bit of both, but once you turn pro and you know, you have sponsors and a team that's, you know, they're depending on you to put up results. You almost got to take a backseat to the other one. So what went into that decision? Well, we were doing a little road racing, you know, as he grew up supermoto and whatnot. And I was, had this Ninja 250 and we go to the CMRA stuff and I just, you know, we'd have to pick a road race and then, you know, save up money for a while before we go do anything else. So like towards like 12, 13, 14, we didn't do a lot. And then the first year we went to amateur nationals on a, a 450, he did really well. I think he won every class, but one and Earl had reached out to me. He's like, Hey, would you like guys like to get into road race? I'd like to help you. And I'm like, sure. So we did a junior cup wild card ride. And then that's when we got the next year we got on the team and man, he struggled for a while. And then he finally got it and, you know, started picking it up and running up front. It was funny. Cause Earl was like, man, I was telling, I was about ready to tell you, let's pull the plug on that and go dirt track. But he, so he finally got going. So then we had help and money to do both. Um, and then when we got to time to, you know, he's won both Horizon Awards and it's like, what are we going to do? We're either going to pay crash damage, tires and gas to go road racing or Andrea Wilson had reached out and Charlie Roberts had reached out to Tim and wondered if they were interested, if he was interested in helping us. So he actually flew us out and we talked to him and we, we made the deal right when he was 15. So it's like, we're either going to, and he paid Dallas just a little bit of money, but he got to keep all his winnings. All the travel was free but he wanted Dallas to have a little bit of a salary like when he was 16. So it's like, are we going to do this or that? So we kind of did both that one year, but then just like you said, you know, we wanted to be champion our first full year. This is what we're going to dedicate to. we got a good team with the money behind us and getting paid a little bit of money with opportunity if we did well to make more. So that's when we had to make the decision. And, you know, I hadn't really been paying attention to it because I just kind of thought it was like when I quit racing. But road race, it really, it wasn't what it was, obviously, prior to 08. And there just wasn't the money there. And I mean, really, there's not great money in dirt track, but uh, Tim makes it where we can, you know, do a little better than than if we we're doing it on our own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what is it like now? I mean, him, like you growing up as a pro flat tracker and then seeing seeing him come through the ranks, 50, 60s, 85, you guys always kind of manifested like what's going on now. I mean, winning two pro, two pro singles championships and, um, you know, growing up in the sport like yourself and now seeing him battle, you know, with Jared, like Jared Meese, a guy that you, you probably raced with. I mean, that's, uh, sure. what is yeah, it like as a dad? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you beat him in the semi? Oh no! I put him to the semi. Direct transferred. It's like I oh shit. Us now, you know, like I beat you on fifties, but yeah, both years I put Jared to the semi. I don't think he can quite remember it, but if you pulled up, he rode a semi. I didn't. <laughs> he beat me in both mains. Well, he was the next guy in front of me, but I got him to the semi. That's crazy. That's cool, man. I know. I I thought. I thought. I want to say, like, I remember you doing well in the heat race. Like now that you say that, that's, uh, I actually think it was probably easier to make, not easier, but it was better to make it out of the heat. Cause I think they only took like the winner of the semi or top two or something. Yeah, and the heat was top, top three, three in the heat and then two in the semi. So yeah, for sure. It was a big release. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, but now seeing Dallas kind of come through and, and, uh, I mean, the pro singles titles are really cool. Like that's, that's awesome. But now seeing him at the, 
at the top level, it's like you guys have finally gotten to that point and seeing him win races. And what is that? I mean, is it surreal? Like, do you think about it much? I mean, you're kind of goal oriented where you're on to the next thing, you know, race, you know, like uh, you gotta have, like you said, short memory, but do you ever just think about it where it's like, damn, this is like, this is really cool. Like where we're at, you know, for how long the journey has been to get here. For sure. Um, being a, you know, I wasn't just a racer too. I always was a fan of the sport. My dad dirt tracks. I didn't get into it till later, but yeah, it's, uh, I almost get giddy sometimes. Like I ask him, I'm like, man, what's it like, you know, battling for this win or winning these dashes or, you know, he's fast time his first race ever out there. Um, I almost sometimes forget to be like his dad and critique him and help him. Cause I still believe I can, but I'm like almost in awe of it because it's, it is amazing to me. I mean, this, you know, I've heard you say, you know, you wanted to win a, a national so bad and, and obviously I just wanted to make one. So like, yeah, when I'm sitting and looking at these, like he might leave the third place trophy out in the shop and I'm like, wow, that's yeah, it's, uh, it is surreal. It's, it's amazing. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a dr- watch and it's just, it's like a dream like these, these five years of him being a pro have just flown by, you know, how life does, but it's, uh, it is, it's amazing watching cause he's just such a, like I say this a lot, he's just such a good boy. Like, I don't even, I'm not sure he's even mine. Like they might've got him mixed up at the, at the hospital, <laughs> just such a good kid. And he's just straightforward, mature, humble. I'm like, just watching how he handles himself makes me so proud. And then watching what he does is just, and the good result is just like a bonus. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a feeling you can't describe. Like doing it was awesome. And Earl Hayden always said this, but whatever the kids do, just feel way better. And like when we got the word, because we were standing down in turn four, like he won Red Mile, I just like right now, I even got goosebumps. And like if we talk about it too much, I definitely make myself tear up. It's just, I mean, it's what we've worked for our whole life. And to see him love it like, like I do and, and put in the work and get the results. I don't know, man. It's just, it's unreal. Really. It's just crazy. Sometimes I even think about it. Like just looking at the bike, like it's just a motorcycle and it's just our like own little part of the world. Like there's so much else going on in the, in the world. And it's like, it's crazy that this can consume you so much, but it is, yeah. uh, I mean, it needs to be more like the way you're talking now that needs to be, that needs to be more common with, with dads, like just celebrating your accomplishments and being proud. And, um, yeah, I mean, I get the same way, like even like little, like my little guy on fifties, like when I, when he gets a new bike and we put the graphics on and I take a picture of him in his gear and his leathers. And it's just like, uh, it's just, it's super cool. Like the first time I I ever got to, yeah. When I watch you guys ride together and I just, that's why I like watching you and talking to you because I'm just kind of like reliving it with you when I'm watching or seeing you or seeing Amber go like Dallas is telling me when he's at the motocross Amber's running all around and she's doing stuff. And it's just, it's awesome. You know, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. How yeah, quick I, it goes, I appreciate but it. it is. Yeah, it is. It's just unreal. I love, I love it. Obviously. Yeah. We look up, we look up to you guys as a, as a family, just the way you've done it. And doing different disciplines, like we sort of model model what we're doing kind of after that. And we've talked back and forth about like I've gotten some peewee dad advice from you. And uh, 
Yeah, it's uh it's a really cool journey. Um, I've always said with Dallas, like I, I think it's underrated how much race craft he has at, at a young age. Like that's something you sort of develop as you get older. Um, like I never really had that race craft until I got older. And I think a lot of that is spending time and coaching and you know, my dad, he had, you know, he, he ran a Harley shop and he was working a lot. So we didn't really get to spend as much time. Um, I mean, shit, I didn't even really start racing till I was like 15. So, um, like right. I wish I had, I wish I had that opportunity, but, um, you know, watching that, watching him with his race craft is the biggest reason I think he's, he's as successful as he is. Um, you know, you see a lot of kids you like Dallas battled with as, um, like in the youth ranks and stuff like that. And, it doesn't, you know, they don't make it to that next, that next level quite like Dallas. And I think a lot of that is, uh, is, uh, is honestly you and you and your wife and, uh, the people you have behind you. And then, um, like I said, that racecraft is, uh, is really underrated. So yeah, it's been really cool to watch, man. And, um, you know, going into the future, it's, uh, yeah. Second in the points this year, dude. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that was yeah. a really cool learning experience and, uh, next year should be interesting for sure. Yeah, it will be. He's learning a lot racing with Jared and Briar and all those guys, Brandon, Jared Vandercoy, all those guys are really good. But guys like you and uh, all the other guys, too, that helped him develop that racecraft. You know, he was racing with you out at Sturgis Half Mile. I'll never forget that when we were fort. Uh, yeah, the year I worked for Shana. And yep. um, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember all star races at 14. And I remember, you know, how when you take off, you always you get great starts, but you'll like flail your feet sometimes you know they yeah, i remember he thought i kicked him you, yeah you kicked him and he just shut the gas off and he's like Corey kicked me i'm like i don't give a shit man stay in the gas <laughs> did he knock you off the bike he's, he's, so it's like shit like that that really i think helped. he won the heat race that day like he was uh he was, oh, he was i remember him and trent like one one year at, uh at savannah trent too he like won his heat race and i didn't want a 14 year old kid to beat me so uh no i just kicked him off the line no yeah i, I remember that i was like oh no shit. You just i was like i'm sorry i watch it all the time no, i know like, i know when you get good starts that they might stay still or they might go way out yeah yeah leg swag but no, yeah, no i remember that. Those, those kind of races and now talking to him like when we you know going down the road be like hey you remember that day and like that particular day he was scared he's like i was scared to line up with those guys you know and I'm like, oh, yeah. well, he didn't really lead on like he was that day. But I, I think it's good to be a little bit uncomfortable, you know, because I guarantee he's a little, you know, you probably don't call it scared, but it's that same feeling he had when he lined up on the second row at New Jersey when he won the race. You know, it's that you just got to get over that and go. But he's learning the same stuff from Jared. and uh, Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to watch him battle and hear what he says and, and see it. And, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's been a cool journey to watch and uh appreciate you coming on the on the pod and uh and sharing that info. And at some point, man, I'd like to get you on for a full episode too. When I when I was getting ready to text you, I'm like, shit, I don't even know if I've had him on for like a like an interview. So I'd like to get you on and and uh and chat some more, just uh more about your your background with uh the Hart family and uh the Haydens, man. The one guy I've always really wanted to have on my show. And I never got to do it was, uh, was Earl Hayden and, um, yeah, your, yeah. your background with them. And, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was good having you on. Like I said, we're going to have a few, a few, a few of you guys on here and then I'd like to do like a mom's episode. Uh, I, I've no, been getting people to yeah. want to have the moms on. So we'll, uh, yeah, work on that next. Their, their perspective. I'm excited to hear Ken senior and, uh, 
and Willie because there's two opposite guys. It's funny. I was talking <laughs> to Willie one time at uh, Peoria because we were riding Suzuki's. He's like, that's what my boys rode. And, you know, obviously the, the boys were pros at the time. So we sit there and bullshit for a while. And uh, now it's cool. It's good stuff. It's yeah. Just, well, what is your, uh, all together. I guess to finish off, what is your, uh, you know, what's your guys' plans for next year? Are you, I mean, you're still going to work with the singles effort and Dallas, obviously he still has another year on his deal or two years or whatever. So, um, yeah. kind of the same, same deal for next year. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, yeah. Try to, you know, he's third, first year, second this year and try to get that top spot. Um, Yep, and I'm gonna run the singles deal, and uh, yeah, it should be should be good. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, we're putting in the work already. Dallas getting ready to go to Florida for a little bit before Christmas, and then he'll be back down for that after. And yeah, pretty much should look the exact same. Nice. Yeah, I was gonna say if you need a singles fill-in rider for Lima, uh, give me a ring. But fucking Tom is pretty. He's pretty good. He's pretty yeah, good Lima. Yeah, so. Ride the big bike class. I think it would be. More yeah, it just I don't it would be uh it'd be cool to uh to get out there and ride that class because I have a I have a twin that actually works really well on cushions, but um but the grind of Lima is just I, I wouldn't say I'm scared of it, but damn, it's such an effort to like a full day at Lima, like trying to compete at up front in any of those classes with like the weather and the track, you leave there and you're just shot. So Man, it's uh years yeah it was it's, it takes it out of you for sure yeah 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 so uh i don't know man i appreciate you dude for coming on this was good like i a lot of really yeah, cool no insight and um yeah we'll uh we'll chat you soon man i'm sure i'll see you or talk to you here over the off season some more yeah for sure you guys take care all right thanks nick see you buddy see you buddy Nick Daniels on the pod, man, a lot of great insight. And he's currently like, he currently has a, a kid out there competing at the top level. So, um, man, just a lot of really good insight and, you know, for parents listening, race parents, just taking some of that input and, and seeing what's worked for them and it's continuing to work. And Dallas is young, dude. I don't even think he's 20. I don't know if he's 20, 20 years old yet. He might be How old's Dallas. I don't even know what Dallas is. I forget. He's, I know he's young. He's really young. Uh, let me look this up here. Uh, yeah, I don't even know how old he is. It says, uh, I know he's not, I don't think he's 21. I don't think he is. Oh, my shit's not loading here. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, well, he turned, uh, I think he turned pro in 2018. Or was it 2019? I don't know. I give up. He's young. So yeah, just, uh, how far along he is right now. And, um, like I said, I said multiple times in the interview, I think a lot of it, most of it has to do with, with, uh, the way he's been brought up with Nick and, uh, his wife and, um, Chris. Yeah. And all that, man, it's, uh, it's crazy. So on the line, I have Willie Halbert. Willie is the father of Sam and Jethro, two very accomplished pro riders from the West coast, Washington state, and excited to get Willie on the show and talk about his, uh, you know, growing up with the boys and kind of how they did it and the direction they took all the way up to the pro ranks. Willie, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Wanted to bring you on. I've, uh, I've always kind of wanted to know about kind of 
because I didn't come into the sport when Sammy and Jethro were, were younger. Right. So I came in, I was a little bit older. I sort of missed, I missed that, uh, you know, when Sammy and Jethro were on small bikes all the way up in the amateurs and, and then things like that, I kind of just saw them come onto the pro scene and kind of wanted to know your background in it as far as racing, flat track, whatever, what have you, and how you kind of got the boys started. Like, where did it all begin? <clears throat> well, my dad raced flat track and he, but he never got me into it. Uh, like I, I saw evil can evil jump at Graham speedway twice. And at SIR when I was a little kid, I hung around it a bit, but I never got into racing. And then I got married and started having kids and I was like 25 and I got a bike. I was racing quads first and that was boring. So I got a TT 500 and a champion frame. And I didn't have that very long until I got a Rotax and then I got a pro sport license and I was racing every weekend and having a blast and the kids got old enough to race and they weren't interested, which kind of bummed me out, but whatever. So I quit racing for two years and built our house. And then I got the house kind of done and I started working on my Rotax, getting it ready for the indoor season up here. We had a whole bunch of indoor stuff going on, and that was fun. And and then the the old, two older boys. We have four boys. The, the two older boys. Yeah, um, right they it. want <clears throat> they wanted to go racing, go watch, right? So I took them. And that was surprised me that they even wanted to go because they never even wanted to go before. And then we went home. And then the next week, the next race, they wanted to go again, and that surprised me. And uh, so I took them and. I heard later on that they got in a fight with Scooter Vernon and a bunch of people at the first race and they wanted to go back. And so that's kind of cool. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, on the way home, the second time they asked me, what dad, why can't we race? And we already had a track at the house and they had bikes and stuff. So it was a pretty easy deal to just load up some more bikes. And I didn't race with them very long at all. I got myself hurt, uh, at work and, so I didn't race with them hardly at all. So and you then, have, then uh, I'm trying to think, the, I'm trying to think of the names. It's Andy. And then is the other one, is it Zach? It's probably not Zach. Yeah, you, you got it. You got it. I got it. All right. So they're actually older than Jethro and Sammy. No, they're younger. Oh, they're younger. Okay. So you started. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. I thought they were younger. So, um, so right on. So you started with, uh, with Jethro and Sammy, they kind of started at the same time. Yeah. Was it on 50s, 60s? Yeah. Like when did, when did they start? Like what bike? Um, Jethro was on 80 for like two races and then he got a 250. And Sam rode 80 for quite a while. And then he got a 250 and he was too small for the 250, but he got it anyway. And uh, there was times when he was, when, you know, a couple weekends pissed people off i guess but we raced 80 250 and a 600 on the same weekend <laughs> that's awesome uh yeah he's he's on the shorter side too i mean he's he's short and stocky so i uh yeah it's it's, it's kind of crazy just um like the dynamic of having two boys doing it at once it's it's got to be a lot harder right because i have i have one and it's it's a lot of work just getting the one, the one ready to go, getting his helmet, all of his gear ready, making sure his bike is prepped, um, doing it for two on the same day. It's, it's gotta be 
challenging? Um, well, I guess we could had it down to a system. You just adapt. You have to, right? But one thing yeah. that kind of seemed like happened to me was they both come off the track, and Sam would sit in a chair and fume, and Jethro. I would say what I think I ought to do to his bike. And he'd say, yeah, sure. Go ahead. You know? And so I'd work on Jethro's bike, get it to where I thought it was right. And then by that time, Sam would be done fuming in a chair and he'd tell me what he wanted done on his bike. I mean, right All from right. the start, I heard, yeah, he would tell me what he wanted done and then I would work on his bike. So it was kind of easy, really. I don't know. I thought it was easy. It's a, I don't know. I thought it was easy because it was what I had to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they both started, was it, um, did they pick it up right away where they were competitive right away? Cause you said they started a little bit later, like they didn't really ride fifties or really. So all the other kids seem to have a jump on them, but what, um, at what point did you, were you like, Oh wow, they're pretty fast. And, uh, and why do you, why do you think that was, do you think it was pr- like practicing in the backyard? Do you think it was them pushing each other? Well, yeah. uh, at, w- at what point? We, we always had a track here. Okay. And they had their own motorcycles here and they rode around. It was just not, they, you know, just riding around. And then, uh, they went racing for a little bit and then we went to American super camp. And I think after American super camp, well, when they came home, I bought two brand new Honda 100s and they got serious about it then. And then, you know, they got fast. It kind of surprised me. Uh, it didn't have, it didn't take long to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they both have, man, very different personalities. Like, um, you know, Sammy's pretty cutthroat slamming in there and, and Jethro was man, just a, a really smooth calculated, uh, racer, it, their, their styles were, were just, are just so different. So, um, yeah. Uh, who, who are you more like, I mean, was Jethro style, Sammy, like who, what, what, what's more of like the Willie style? Cause I didn't know you even turned uh, pro or anything. It's crazy. I, I crashed into people. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I taught, like it. You know, I taught him how to do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, I, like I certainly it. didn't teach him everything he knows, but I mean, I used to tell him things of what he can do and tell him to watch out for old guys. You watch out for them old guy tricks, you know, and, and he learned a bunch from old guys and, you know, Sammy raced with Rick Hawking, right? Oh, Boy, yeah. there, was a, there was a pissed off day there one time. <laughs> with Rick Hawking? Yeah. I, I oh, didn't get man, to his wife I didn't know him to, much, but. <laughs> his wife wanted to kill Sam. Really? Did Sammy run into him? Oh, it was a whole deal, a whole day of running uh, into him. At Lodi. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Lodi. Yeah, I was going to say, so you guys are from, uh, I've actually been to your house. I was at it. I don't know if you're still there, but like, are you still at the airport house? Uh, we'll probably be here. Yeah, we've been here forever. Okay, yeah, I was there when I was a pro sport, and it, it was cool. You had like airplanes in like the front yard, if I can remember, and uh, it it was cool. It was a really cool, like it's, it's isolated. It's in Washington. So, um, I mean, you guys have like pretty good competition up there. Obviously you've had, you know, the Halberts and Bakers and, um, Joe Cobb. I'm trying to think Mickey Faye, like there's some really good r- riders from Washington state. Um, but you went down to California, right? So as the, as they got bigger on eighties and two fifties, you, uh, 
you traveled a little bit. You went down to California, amateur nationals. Like, at what point did it get serious? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Right, probably much right at the first. As soon as we got the school bus, um, we'd go down to California. It was 880 miles to Lodi, and we'd go down to California if there wasn't a race up here. You know, we just all of a sudden started racing every weekend, and uh, you know, if there wasn't a race up here, we'd go to Lodi and. You know, wherever yeah. else that we wanted to go, that, you what's, know, that uh, they, the kids would find a race and we go there. Yeah, what's the background on the cool bus, man? Like, it's pretty. It's a really iconic. Like, as far as race vehicle go, race vehicles go, I think you you guys have had two of probably the top five iconic race vehicles with the cool bus, and then uh, and then the Black Pearl. I actually wanted to ask you about both of those because. The Black Pearl is is honestly like that thing is um it defines like it 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 it's, the physics of it it's just crazy to see and it's actually a really cool a cool rig that you built but uh, let's talk about the cool bus first like what 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 went behind that I mean just like grab the school bus it would be a modified good idea. <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea you know and then it's a great idea we uh, changed everything. We changed everything on that bus except the steering wheel. Okay. Okay. We put a different engine, a turbo engine. We put a 10 speed transmission in it. We put really tall rear end gears in it. And uh, the thing would do 99 miles an hour. Okay. We did that in Pennsylvania, going up and down them hills, trying to get it up to 100. <clears throat> but it wouldn't only do 99. Uh, that, there's a whole story in that when we're trying to get to Ohio to fix the Harley that Sam blew up because the next week there was a race in Nevada or something stupid like that. So we were yeah, I've fast. I've never been in the cool bus, man. But uh, is it where where is that thing? You sold it? It's in my front yard. Oh <laughs> really? Yeah, you just retired. Oh, it yeah. still runs, or I'm looking at it right now. No, I haven't started it in years. I bet you if you put batteries in it, it'd start. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's 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 pretty cool. Um, so did you guys when you uh at what point like because you guys ran your own program when Sammy turned, well Jethro and Sammy like you guys pretty much you you ran your own program a lot like even when you turned pro um, and obviously building the building the rigs and you said you built your house like you you have a really mechanical you know you're you're a good mechanic. Like your background is, is solid for that. Um, did you enjoy running like your own program? Like as far as the XR seven fifties go and things like that, or was it, um, like what was the most challenging part of that besides they're expensive as hell? Well, we got lucky. Okay. We, I didn't know at all what I was doing when I, you know, other than working on motorcycles, you know, I knew how to work on a Honda, but when we got an XR seven fifty, I didn't have a clue what I was doing really. And we got hooked up with uh, Larry Zumbrun accidentally, right? And that was the best thing that ever happened to us. You know, it was last year that Joe Cop was with him and it pissed Joe Cop off for some reason or another. And uh, he quit in the middle of it. And yeah, Larry helped us out a whole bunch. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy to learn from. His bikes are... Uh... They were always fast. The LZ, the LZ bikes, they were, they were always really fast. Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you too, like, do you feel, um, like having two boys racing, um, was, did either one of them kind of complain about 
oh, you gave Jethro a fast bike or you gave Sammy a better bike. Like, was there ever any of that? Um, Cause I'm kind of, I'm never just genuinely up. curious. Never came up. Never came up. Okay. No, never yeah, came up. I, they, they both got I, what they needed. I always felt like my, I'm going to be honest. Was. I always, yeah, I always Go felt ahead. like my, my dad always gave Shane a better shit. So <laughs> I, I don't think it was intentional. I just, I don't know, man. Maybe he was trying to be hard on me. Just feel like, uh, make me ride better. But I always felt like he gave Shane a better shit or like, for instance, my very first pro race at Daytona, he went to an amateur race with Shana where I thought, I thought like maybe he probably should have like came to my first pro race. So I didn't know if, if the boys ever sort of, I mean, they're pretty, pretty like easy going. I feel like when it comes to that, they probably, you know, didn't say much, but I didn't know if, if one of them got better bikes or, or, you know, something like that. No, I like to think, you know, they obviously, if we had more money, they could have had better bikes. Right. But I like to think that they had what they needed and, they knew what they needed and I tried to get them better stuff than what they had their sights set on. You know, I remember the big upside down fork fiasco and that we went through with their 600s and, you know, I don't know, just all kinds of stuff we tried to do to make their, make their bikes good with what we had, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think part of being a parent in this sport is, uh, the challenges you always want to do better for your kid. Like you always want to get them better bikes or better, you know, newer tires when they need it or, or things like that. But I feel like you guys, you know, in your setup, they were good bikes, but I mean, it was a pretty humble setup. Like you guys did what you could and, and the boys rode the shit out of whatever you kind of put them on. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think some of those Washington battles, man, like the indoors growing up, like I've heard, I've heard like the Sammy and, and Joe cop stories and the Baker and like, there's a lot of aggressive riders up there. So I'm sure, uh, some of those nights were, were definitely entertaining kind of the battles on those indoors. Oh yeah. And afterwards and everything in between. And yeah, it was pretty wild stuff there's all kinds of stories go but the other thing about the two boys complaining about each other's bikes what's even more remarkable is the two younger boys you know i was obviously spending more time with jethro and sam and spending way all of our resources on jethro and sam right and the two younger boys never complained either yeah i mean they actually were pretty involved uh did they ever ride much or not really Uh, they they still ride. They, uh, they both have the R3s that they road race and, um, they never flat track a whole bunch. Right. But, uh, no, everybody here, everybody in this family, including my wife has raced a motorcycle. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. No, I, I knew they were pretty good mechanics. Cause I know Andy used to help out Sam on, you know, like he was his mechanic, I think for a couple of years there. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, that that's pretty cool. One thing that Sammy does really well too, and it's kind of underrated. Um, a lot of people might not expect it. He's pretty good, like business wise. Like he's got, you know, things he invests in. He's done race promotions. He like markets himself well. I mean, is that anything that you you've taught him, or is that kind of stuff he picked up on his own? Because um underrated he he's like he does a lot of really good businessy like things and he's good at kind of developing like his brand i guess you'd say um is that stuff that you've kind of helped him with too or 
Um, maybe by leading by by not leading, but setting an example of just working hard. I've had my own well drilling company for the whole time the boys were racing. Right. And, you know, as long as the boys have known that I've been around, <clears throat> I've been self-employed. Okay. So that might be yeah. an example that picked up on. And, and, yeah. uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, even We've now, even now, business. right. You're still doing, you have a food truck now. I've heard it's in the, yeah. the food's really good. So how did yeah, that start? I, a, uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, <laughs> I was either going to buy a food. I needed to buy myself another job, right? And I was either going to get a food truck, a semi truck, or a mini excavator and a dump truck. And I just thought of all the ways that I could hurt myself, and it seemed like the food truck was a way that I wouldn't hurt myself the most. And it's it's fun. Tugboat Willie's. It's uh just a little food truck down in Oregon, next to a Texaco I'll- station. How uh how often are you doing that? Like every every day or on the weekends? I uh it's it's open seven days a week and uh I split it I work four days on and a girl works another four days, so we split that so we're open seven days a week and she just went on vacation, so I just got done with twelve days straight. And no, I'm down there every day. That's amazing. Yeah, I heard it I heard it's good food. So I mean so you got a cooking you got a cooking background too. It's you got a lot of you, uh, hidden talents, man. You raise four kids and you don't want to go to the restaurant. You learn how to cook. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, when I was there, I, 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 I'm not, no, I'm not a good cook. I'm not. I don't have any. I'm not crafty. There's people that are way better than me. I'm just. I know how to. I know how to put temperature to a piece of meat for a certain amount of time. You know what I mean? Right. I got the. I can't, it's a mechanical thing. I don't, there's no I can't respect that. So you're good yeah. at winging shit. Like you just wing, you're good at winging, yeah. winging it. Yeah. yeah same. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's cool, man. No, I, I, uh, I haven't had any of your, obviously I haven't been out to Oregon much. I kind of avoid that state, but, uh, wait, are you in Oregon now? I thought you were guys. How no, far we're is in Western Washington. At? Yeah. We're in okay. Washington. We're a hundred miles North of Castle Rock. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's man, that's it's it's so cool. It's interesting for sure. Um, when's the last race you've been to? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, curses. I don't even know. Been a while. I don't you, know. You, I don't have a clue. Did you go to Castle Rock or you don't go there? Yeah, I went I went to Castle Rock. I guess I did go to there. That's the last race I went to. And then the year before I had my food truck at Castle Rock. But okay. then I stopped, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, stopped moving it around. Are you still, uh, do you still have any of your old bikes? Like how many of your old road taxes and stuff do you have? We pretty much have everything. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. kind of made a rule a long time ago. I never felt so bad in my life as when I sold a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a fine line between at what point will you regret selling it? To, am I ever going to start this thing again? Kind of thing. Like I've, I've had that with some bikes. It's like, I'm probably never going to ride this again, but in 10 years from now, I'll probably wish I had it. And I'll probably get to that point with some of the bikes I got rid of, but I don't know, man, kids are expensive as you know. So I pretty much sell and buy shit for my kid. It's like never ending. I mean, especially there, I guess there is one time when it's okay to sell a motorcycles when you're using the money to buy another motorcycle. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah, okay. that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what are your thoughts now? I mean, uh, as far as, like, I know Sammy does, like, a limited schedule. Like, do you watch the races? Like, how involved are you with Sam's career? I mean, do you offer kind of input or, you know, what's, uh, what's your kind of role right now? I just, we talk to each other once in a while. I really enjoy, you know, when he, when he calls, I stop everything I'm doing and, you know, any of the boys call me, I stop everything I'm doing and, and have a conversation with him, but he makes all of it. I mean, since he was 12 years old, he's made every decision pretty much himself. You know what I mean? He's, uh, he's got his thing going on. He knows what to do. So he, he doesn't yeah. ask me for advice much at all, you know? Yeah. What were your thoughts on, uh, the, the FIM stuff he went over and basically, I was just laughing. Ah, it's crazy, man. That's like, I watched some of the video and I was like, no way. Cause I was thinking about going over there too. I, I was like pretty close to maybe doing it. And, um, and they were giving me such a hard time about getting a license. And I was just like, ah, this is such a weird, it's already weird. Like it was, it was kind of a weird thing. And then when he went over and, all the you know barely touch a guy and he got dq'd i was like man that's, but that's uh, the rule man that's yeah. the rule okay i mean and then the guys that seemed like they knew the rule existed so yeah if you get touched by sam go run into the wall okay <laughs> yeah I, I saw that yeah i saw that and one then it, it, so i just thought it, i you know i thought it was pretty funny i think it'll be funny if that kid ever comes over to the states because any oh, kid man. that rides, any kid that rides with him is going to say, "Oh, you thought Sammy gave you something bad? Here, watch this." Yeah, I thought honestly he was pretty mellow, and um, yeah, I mean Sammy grew up like he's a really aggressive rider and uh, slam and Sammy. But I felt like as he got older, um, like later on in his career, he really wasn't slamming that much. Like he kind of tapered right. down oh. a little bit. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. No, he just got better at his craft, you know. He just got better yeah. and better. And... Yeah, I did like the uh, I did like the the Johnny Lewis and the uh, the Sammy uh, <laughs> fiasco at Daytona. I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty pretty good. Just them two kind of because they're both. I mean, just watching them both. I mean, it's entertaining, man. Like Sammy's always been really really good entertainment. That's why he's got so many fans too. Is just the entertainment factor. I mean, he's always. It's like a highlight reel, man. He's going to do well. He's going to be flashy or he's going to cause some sort of like entertainment where he's not going to sit there and wait for people. And, and, you know, that's the, that's, you said you kind of taught him like kind of how to be aggressive and don't sit around on the track, just make moves. And yeah, definitely it's, it's paid off for him throughout his career. Yeah. I can't say that I taught him that much. <laughs> okay. I, just I thought, motorcycles I thought you taught him everything. No. no yeah no i just oh, gave cool, it man i taught them all how to siphon gas okay siphon gas, they get, yeah. They, yeah so they could get gas out of my drill rigs for their uh motorcycles <laughs> what's the background behind you guys living on like i mean I, right there's an airstrip right there i mean is there any background are you like do you have any pilot background I, like i was kind of curious on that when i was thinking about yeah i got a interview. pilot's license I got a pilot's license and a multi-engine rating and I was, you know, heading on up trying to become a pilot, a professional pilot. And then I got this drilling company given to me 
And it was the same time that all the airlines were laying off every pilot in the world. And I was also trying to become a firefighter and that wasn't working out. And I just, you know, and then my father-in-law gave me a, it was the drilling company wasn't much. It was a yellow pages ad and a bunch of old equipment, but we were already in business, you know? So it's like, here, keep it going. And it wasn't hard to keep it going. Just drill well. So you're going to keep it going. So that's, you know, that's, I just gave up on all that other stuff, but here we are. We had an airplane already because I'd bought an airplane and I was flying it around and then I was feeling guilty about not spending time with the family. I was always down at the airport. So I found this property out here on this airport and we built a house out here and moved the kids out here. We were living, we lived in a travel trailer and for uh, two years and four months while I built the house. You know, they were in Federal Way School District on the last day of school. We just moved out here. and You know, That's I already awesome. had the project going. And uh, if yeah, there is, built the house out here. If there was anything you could do differently, like go back in time with like, I don't know, maybe maybe the way you kind of went about being a race dad or, you know, maybe putting them on a different bike or, you know, going a different direction or is there anything you would do differently that you thought of or really no? I can't think of anything. No. You know, we did, we did somehow find more money. How's that? You know, it was always a money (laughs) deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I was always like, uh, you know, as long as credit cards still work, we'll still race. I like that. If you could give, uh, say somebody from the West coast comes up to you and they say, Hey man, I want to get my kid in the, in the racing flat track. What, what advice would you, would you give them? Is there any way you can build a track in your backyard? Right. Yeah, I agree. It definitely yeah, I don't care how small of a track it is. I don't care how small of a track it is. If it's only, you know, if the straightaways are only 30 feet long, you know, build Something. a track. Forget about having a backyard and get a, get a XR70, XR70, XR100, get something and, and do eight million. You got, you know, the kids out here, they were obsessed. Okay. They would go out and they'd hang uh, lights on the railing so it would shine on the track. And they'd just do lap after lap and come in all pissed off at each other and just slamming each other. And yeah. yeah I always you know, thought it was cool to, uh, anytime Jethro or Sammy got into a, like a, uh, a scuffle with, uh, like another rider, the other brother would kind of go to bat, like, he would, you know, if somebody bumped into Sammy, I'd, I'd sometimes see Jethro go in and, and throw him a wheel or, or you know what I mean? Like, it was cool that they kind of had each other's backs a lot. Um, and that, that's got to be ma- do all that stuff. No, I know. I know for sure. But it's got to make you proud just to see, see them. Like, even though they rode for different teams or whatever, they kind of had each other's backs too, like with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, on different teams, I also like seeing them talk to each other. You know what I mean? During the day, they'd talk to each other and give each other information and stuff. And that was fun to see. Yeah, exactly. And man, we miss Jethro for sure. He was so much fun to, to watch. And honestly, I, I always talked with Jethro kind of more than Sammy. Like he was always just really awesome. The, the, he would give me a lot of advice and he was just a really, really cool guy. We really miss him, man. I, I love, uh, I go back and look at, uh, watch old videos and, um, I found an old video actually. It was from Savannah, Georgia. Uh, I think it was like 2006. Like he was pretty young 
and it was my pro sport year and he was riding uh one of Zanotti's Framer 450s and he either I think he won or got second and it was he was very young and the, it was stacked I mean it was all the top guys and yeah he was just I yeah like I said I think he won or got second I don't know if you remember that or not but it was like 2006 yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't remember the exact details but I remember the weekend yeah 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 he crushed it so um what are your thoughts? Uh, how much longer do you think Sammy's going to keep doing it? I, you know, he does a little bit here and there, but what, what do you think Sammy's plans? I have no clue, dude. I, I, he doesn't tell me anything like that. I mean, I'm, I just have no idea at all. You know, he, he seems to like to ride a motorcycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. For okay. sure. He seems to enjoy riding a motorcycle. So if it was me and if I had those talents, and if I enjoyed it that much, I'd probably do it, you know, until I was 50 years old. I'd try to keep a pro license going. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm probably the, a bad person to ask that. Cause I, I don't get really race race as much as I want to, too. It's like, yeah, it seems like a good idea until you're watching everybody do it. It's like, damn, I wish I was, uh, especially if you're capable, like he's, like you said, he's still, still a good rider. He still rides a lot. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, be cool to see him out there more. He's definitely good for the sport. So you know, if he didn't ride a lot, maybe it would bother me more. Okay. But he's always riding a motorcycle, you know, yeah, at least yeah. once a week. And you can't say that about very many people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Like there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that I was kind of curious on and kind of your background as well. Um, I feel like you've had five different lives combined in one so far. Like you said you were a pilot, a firefighter, uh, drilling. No, I, tried like... to get I, I wanted to be a firefighter. I was never a firefighter. Uh, I wanted to be a firefighter. And I, and I I came from boys' homes and foster homes, okay? So I did this all myself. Uh, I had a lot oh, of help really? from my wife's parents, okay? But it's just things happen, and you follow the trail, you know? And you just work hard every day. It's one of the, the curses of having four sons, okay? You have to outwork them all. You just have to, to set an example. You know what I'm saying? I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's... Yeah. when they're when they're old they got when they get older and they gotta go well shit dad would have walked right through that you know yeah no that's they might not realize it now but later on they will yeah yeah i mean that's definitely everything you've done or you don't you definitely don't sit around you definitely get after it and i think honestly like i don't know the other boys very well but sammy's very similar where he's he's always doing something or trying to be creative like he's uh yeah, he, he, you've done well, man, with your boys. And uh, it's definitely cool to get, get your background. It's, we had, um, I talked to Nick Daniels. Um, he, he actually was, uh, he told me he, he's talked to you a few times about stuff. And he was, he said he's looking forward to listening to you as well. But I had Nick Daniels on and um, going to talk to uh, Ken Coolbeth Sr. as well. And we're going to kind of put together like a, like a dad, like a race dad podcast. But, um, yeah, it was cool, man, to get get your thoughts on uh, on everything and kind of learn some more about you, man. I I I haven't talked to you in a while, so it was cool to cool to chat for sure. All right. Well, any more questions? Give me a call.
<laughs> All right, Willie. Thanks for uh taking the time, brother, man. And I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Good luck with the food truck. I gotta I gotta get out there and, and get some. So uh yeah, good luck. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Take care. See ya. All right, Willie Halbert. <laughs> he's he's uh that was so 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 fun for me. Like I he's such an entertaining guy and raised some really fast kids riders man and it's cool to get just a such a different perspective on on it he's he's pretty simple guys complicated but he's very simple and basically the biggest advice i got from that is work hard and set an example so they can follow it it's uh he's awesome man that was that was good so appreciate willie for for taking the time and uh let's do a I'll call in with Ken Coolbest Sr., man. I, I've known this guy a long time, so I'm excited. He was a little tentative on doing this, but uh, I talked him in, into it. So, yeah, it's uh, Ken Coolbest Sr., man. How are you? Doing good, Corey. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, we're doing this Race Dad podcast. I've had Nick Daniels on the show. I've had Willie Halbert. And now I talk to you, man. No pressure. <laughs> That's good. I don't like pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to hear more about kind of your upbringing with uh with Mr. Kenny, um kind of coming through the ranks. I know you you used to ride as well, so I guess we'll start at the beginning, man. When did uh like how was your background introduced in the flat track and and uh I guess that translated over to Kenny when he was born? Um well, we've always been into racing uh, racing motorcycles and motorcycles was always the the thing that we liked the best um race cars snowmobiles my dad used to race and that's kind of how we got into racing through my dad so your dad raced flat track too or was uh like where did it start was he a flat tracker um no back in them days it was pretty much you know just uh, they called them scrambles Oh yeah, and uh, you race through the. You used to build tracks out in fields and things that you raced in. So, right. So how did you? What What was your fir first flat track experience? Do you remember what what yours was? Um. Well, I my dad bought me a 250 Ducati, and I was like 14 years old, and we started racing. But like I say, back then it was all scrambles. We never did any flat track, and it was scrambles and TT races, and uh, that's how we uh, we started going. Things have changed over the years, Corey. It's, back it's a lot days. different. It's a lot different. Yeah, I I'll get to that here in a minute. But when um, so obviously you have uh, you have two two kids, Kenny and Marsha, right? Is that your only two? Yep, Marsha's the oldest, and Kenny's the youngest. Did um did Marsha ride at all too, or was it was it just Kenny? No, she never raced, but she um she she used to ride. She don't ride anymore, but she used to ride in the uh, tracks and things home when we used to play and practice and things. But no, she don't. But I got a grandson, her her son, things that started racing things. So Brody, yeah, Brody, we're back man. At, we're back <laughs> I know it's a never ending cycle, man. You you can't get away from it. But uh so with Kenny, when did uh what was his first race and what what kind of got you guys started 
you know, like flat track motocross, like he probably, he liked riding motorcycles and you guys are originally from Connecticut. So how did that start? Do you remember his first race that you took him to and what bike he was on? Oh yeah. I bought him a, uh, JR 50. Uh, and, um, I asked him if he wanted to go race and I was racing then. And, and, uh, he said, yeah, he was like four years old. And, uh, we went to Loudon, New Hampshire and that's, uh, that's when he started. And ever since then, it's just been every weekend actually with him. Um, yeah. It was every weekend. We never, we never, um, we never doubted. I mean, the weekends, when the weekends come, we were off racing. Right. Yeah. I mean, at what point was, uh, at what point, like, was it casual, like casual at first? Like at what point when he started riding where you, you know, did you notice, wow, I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty fast. I mean, riding in the backyard, did you notice it? Or was it kind of more so, uh, I mean, he's in the, he's in the AMA hall of fame now. At what point did, you know, did when he started racing, did you, did you notice he, he was really talented? He never, when he first started racing, uh, you know, it's like when they're small like that, they're just out on a Sunday cruise, looking in the grandstands, you know, waving at dad and mom and <laughs> you know how that is. And, uh, uh, he, he rode that JR. He started riding that pretty good around fields and around home and things. And he ended up, uh, I ended up getting him a, a CR 60 Honda. Oh yeah. And yep. when he started at still was, uh, you know, he was, I didn't know if he was going to be able to race the thing. He'd be so slow. Kids would be lapping him. And, and, uh, anyway, we, we went to Geneva, New York, I was racing in Hamburg, uh, New York. It was a national. I was a novice back then, but um, I was never as good as him anyway. But he, um, we went to Geneva, New York on a 60. And when I pulled in there, it, it was a big crowd. They had motorhomes. And I mean, it was a huge crowd at Geneva. It was just a little short track. And um, all the kids were running around and playing. And pretty soon, uh, Kenny, he didn't have a steel shoe or anything. So he come over to the, the pit and he said, Dad, he says, this this man give me a, a steel shoe and it fits my boot. And I says, really? I says, uh, show me who the, the man was. So we go over and it was uh, Jim Pengram. It was one of Larry's uh, steel shoes. And uh, I asked him, I said, geez, what do I owe you for that shoe? And and uh, Jim said, oh, nothing. It was Larry's. He had the same kind of boots. And and uh, that's one of the ways I met uh, met Larry. But, oh, that's but, cool. Uh, that's really cool. So, but over, over time, um, he started getting faster on that 60. And uh, it just went from there, went to 125s and 250s and things. But we mainly just did it for fun. I never thought he'd ever go. Or what he did, you know. Um, yeah. You know, no, that's the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's uh, it's cool to to kind of hear that, like kind of the start and uh, and just yeah, I mean, a little dirt track race in New York, and then you have Larry Pegram. You know, it's just uh, it's crazy the level of competition back then, and you could go anywhere and and race. I mean, there he's an iconic rider as well. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. What was the um? 
was it challenging for you to try and race and also have your son racing as well? Um, I know for me personally, it's pretty tough when, when I have crews out there and I'm trying to scramble and I want to help him. And then I'm like, shit, I got to go out and ride and put my helmet on. And it kind of hit me quick. Like it, I never thought it would be like that. And, uh, and I'm more worried about him doing well than I, than I am like me even like working on my own bike. So did you notice similar things when, when you were helping him and, and when did you sort of stop riding at what level was he at and just kind of focus on him? Well, it, that's the same way I felt. It was like, there was a lot of work between the two of us racing and things. And, um, we mostly raced all amateur stuff I did. I didn't race a whole lot of pro. Um, we did it mainly for fun. And when he, um, I blew my bike up in, in, uh, York, Pennsylvania. And after I did that, um, um, I kind of quit racing and just focused on him cause he was getting pretty good and things. And it was more fun watching him than it was for me racing. So, um, that's, that's about when I, when I quit racing after I blew my bike up there. Yeah. Hey man, I've, I've blown bikes up and I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to quit racing too. So it's, re that's relatable, re relatable. I think the last time I blew the last XR 750, I blew up after my dad passed away. I sort of just said, screw it. I'm selling it. Cause I don't want to fix it. So uh, that's, that's, that's relatable. That's funny. Um, I mean, growing up for him, he, he had a really stacked amateur kind of error. Like there were a lot of really fast kids and i don't know i don't know how close they are in age but like jr schnabel and the hayden brothers and brian bigelow and you mentioned larry pegram like they're all pretty similar in age right who was who were the guys he was kind of racing with coming up through on the 125s 250s um well like you say uh schnabel and um oh there was a bunch of them we used to we, we used to hang quite a bit with the Haydens and race all over. I'll never forget uh, Earl one time asked us to come out to uh, uh, his place and hang out in a three-day race weekend. And uh, I said, yeah. I said, let me know when you have a three-day and we'll come out and race. So we did that and hung out and had a real good time, raced Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So after we were all done racing, I said, Earl, I says, you know, you ought to bring the kids up our way and uh, we'll have a lot of fun up in New York, which he did. Um, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, there was uh, and you asked who else was. I can't think of all the kids back then, but there was a lot of fast kids um, that used to race. Yeah, I can remember. Stand I can remember standing at the fence and things and when Kenny started getting, you know, he was getting pretty good and always up in front and running two fifties and things. And I remember he used to wear green leather. So everybody would say, you know, watch that green kid, the kid <laughs> in the green. Yeah. You know? but, uh, what was that like kind of moving up from like the mini bikes to the big bikes? Because there's a lot of parents that are listening where their kids are, they're advancing onto bigger motorcycles and they're sort of, stressed out you know bigger faster bikes but i feel the opposite like i think the more the bigger bike you get on 
the easier they are to ride. Like I think the hardest bike Cruz is ever going to have to ride in his life is this little 50 CC Cobra junior that he's riding. So I think, you know, I always tell these parents, man, uh, a 65 is way easier to ride than a Cobra 50 or, you know, an 85 CC, you finally have good tires and 17 inch wheels. And then you jump off the 85 on a 250. It's like, man, the wheelbase is so much longer. You have 19 inch wheels. And I feel the opposite, but a lot of parents were nervous. What were your thoughts on that? Like, were you nervous for him kind of moving up through or? Well, I always stopped moving up through it. You know, when you start to get on bigger bikes and things, I mean, little mini bikes and stuff is, is good. But when you start to get up to, you know, two fifties and four fifties, you know, and then get up to seven fifty class and things. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think it depends on what your plans are. Like, like I never thought that Kenny would ever, uh, get to the point that he did, you know, like I say, it was always amateur stuff and we had fun doing it so the to i always felt not to really push too hard to jump up to the bigger classes because it gets faster and faster and we all know it's uh you know there's there's risk in racing so um if he's you know up front all the time and beating kids that uh he races with it'd be a good thing to to move up but um, yeah. I never felt it was good to, to to push too much. It had to keep being fun. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, how I much? Be... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you know, it, it has to it has to be fun to be good at anything. You have to enjoy it. I think if you don't enjoy it, you won't be good at it. No, I agree. So... I think that's really underrated. Is uh, the more fun you have, the better you do. So yeah, I I agree absolutely. I I think too, it depends how big you are too. Like, I think, um, like if you're a really big kid and you're younger, I think you can, you know, maybe you're ready to move up to that bigger bike or, or talent level. Like no, no, no two kids are the same, especially as kids. Like there's, there's kids that are just built like brick shit houses. And then there's other kids like, like myself, I was very small and tiny. I know Kenny was tiny too, but he was more talented as a, as a younger rider than most. So, um, what did you do for work? Like when you were traveling and everything, um, what was your, your job and how much work did you have to take off and like sacrifices going to amateur nationals and going out West and, you know, what was your job and, and how difficult was managing work with, uh, with taking your kid racing? Cause a lot of parents have to, you know, they're doing the same where they're making those sacrifices. Well, in my younger days when we were doing that, I was work construction work. Um, um, worked for, you know, union, uh, construction company. And I was lucky I could get, get time off back then. And, and, uh, you know, but I mostly, uh, done my own thing, small construction business and things. So, um, I could pretty much go and I was, I was pretty lucky that I could afford it and, and do what I did. Right. Yeah. But it, um, it was a family. What was that? I say it was always a family thing, you know. We always, you know, come Friday, Friday night. We I had a small motorhome and things, and um, my wife she'd have the motorhome ready. And Kenny, he always, he always loved racing, and he'd always. We had a trailer that we pulled, so his job was to clean his bike every week, and his air cleaner, and 
get the trailer trailer all straightened out and things. And when I got home from work, we'd be off racing. I love that. Yeah, there were a lot more races back then too, where you could race two, three times every weekend. Um, it was definitely cool to have all those different racetracks and stuff like that. Um, moving up through when he turned pro, what was that experience like for you? Um, I know he, I know my dad helped him out a little bit with uh, I think with some bikes and things like that, but finding a ride and kind of turning pro, what was that experience like and how involved were you um, like his early years as a, as a pro? Well, it was, it was tough. It got to a point where um, really it was starting to cost a lot of, a lot to, to go when he turned pro and, you know, after he uh, went expert. Um, so I always thought at that time that, you know, you had to have a, uh, like a race for a team, you know. Um, but I don't know if I had it all uh, do over again, I would have had my own team with him. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, racing for teams, they kind of seem to have a different attitude than, <laughs> than we did. We went to have fun and to win, but it was also fun. And, but it all turned out to be good. Um, race for quite a few teams and, um, towards the end there, it was, it was, uh, it was good. When he, good. when he rode he, for, he loved, he loved, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say when he, when he rode for a team, I'm trying to think of the teams he rode for. Honestly, I, I think, I don't even know, maybe you can, you, you remember some of the teams, but how involved were you with those teams? Like when he would sign on and, and ride for a team like Nick Daniels, he's, he's really proactive and in Dallas's career still, because he, um, he works for Essenson and helps them out on the four fifties. How involved were you with like when he turned pro with those teams? Um, well, you know, in the early days, I, I kind of helped out with the teams, but once he, uh, once he got with Harley after, uh, during the Harley days and, and, uh, you know, after that, he took care of everything himself. I didn't have anything to do with anything. He was, he, uh, he took care of everything just, just like he does now. I don't have anything to do with, with nothing anymore. <laughs> he takes care of it. But in the early, in the early days, in the early days, uh, you know, like teams, he rode, his first team was riding for the gardeners and, uh, and then, uh, geez, I don't know. I have to think of all the, all the teams that he went, but he did ride for your dad and your dad and granddad treated us like a million bucks. They were, they were great people. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my dad hired, uh, or, or not, whatever, however he did it back then, but he gave Kenny some bikes to ride and I was young, man. I was probably six, seven years old. And I remember my dad <laughs> telling me like, yeah, we we're Kenny Coolbath's going to ride the bikes. And I remember Kenny's first ever, I think it was his first ever podium. It was at um, Hagerstown, right? Or Williams Grove. I think it was Williams Grove in the, I want to say it was like 1994. Is that right? Do you know? Uh, I I really don't remember. I uh, I know his first uh, Grand National Championship was in Columbus. Oh, yeah. Uh, his yep. first win, his win, I think maybe was Hagerstown. No, his first podium, I think, was Williams Grove. His first ever win. Oh, you're was right. It, wasn't his first win at Columbus, too? I don't even know. I'd have to go look, but. <laughs> you probably, I'm not real 
real good on stats, Corey, but, um, <laughs> but, you're, but you're right. Um, at Williams Grove was his, was his first podium. I think uh, Aaron Hill, uh, Larry Pengram won, and Aaron Hill got second. And yep. I think Kenny got third. Yeah, you got good memory. I have the uh, somewhere in my house. I have the VHS tape of that, and I remember watching it. Like kind of when I like knew Kenny a little bit, I was like, I think this is his first podium. And then they they announced it that it was because he was still thirty two U at the time. He didn't even have a national number, I don't think. So, um, no. yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and when your son gets signed. Uh, cause he, he rode, it was like 94, he turned pro, I think it was. And then he raced all the way up. He didn't get his factory ride in his first championship until 2006. Um, I mean, it was 12 years of, of a grind for him to kind of earn, you know, earn the factory ride, earn the championship. Um, what was that? What was, what do you think took him so long to kind of, cause I mean, he podiumed his first year. What were some of the struggles that you think that he had to work through and how, you know, to get to that point where he finally got his first championship. Cause if you ask Kenny, he always says, yeah, I sucked for the first, you know, 10 years of my career. And he hardly sucked. I mean, like I said, he was on the podium, he was, you know, winning races, yeah. but what, what took him so long to kind of get to the point where he was winning championships? Was it more on the bike skills or was it more mental? You think? Uh, I think it was more mental. Um, you know, it's very mental sport too if you ask ask me i think it's it's very important to have the right mindset and uh you know and you have to be able to control your emotions when you're racing that that's kind of a hard thing to do i always say there's there's racers and then there's racers meaning that you know there's there's real true blood racers. i mean everybody race races and are good but there's a very few that are are very top. Um, you know, it's just their mental way, I think, and they're 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 just they're just professionals, very professional. Yeah, yeah. I think once you find it too, I mean, you might think you're you got it, and you know, and and then you're humbled. Like when I was pro, like a young pro, I always thought, yeah, I got to figure it figured out, you know, and. And then I'd get there, I'd crumble. It's like, shit, I don't, like I thought I had it. Like, I, you know, it's, and once you figure it out, it's something that's kind of hard to, hard to, hard to describe because everybody's sort of fast, but when you learn how to like yeah. win races and control, control the race, like when I started learning, I don't always have to be the fastest guy today to win this race. It, um, it really opened up like a whole new part of racing for me where, um, there's a lot of mental skill involved with winning races. So, um, everybody can go fast, but yeah, when you learn the win, especially at the pro level where everybody's fast, it's, um, it's pretty cool to kind of figure out. I mean, I never won the, I never won, um, a race at the GNC twins level, but, um, just being up in the mix and kind of learning, man, I, to be honest, I, uh, Kenny's pass, I got third at Springfield mile the one year and Kenny's last lap pass around, uh, Brian Smith. That was like one of the most epic races of my, of my career. And, I kind of got to sit in and, and watch that uh, last lap pass. That was, uh, that was super cool. But, <laughs> um, yeah, what's, that's, uh, that's the race that he chased Brian, uh, nose to tail, almost the whole race. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did it twice. He followed him twice there, yeah. but the, yeah. the second race, so I was sitting catbird, I was right there and 
And, uh, I was like, I think he's going to go for it. And, and he went for it. And yeah, I had best seat in the house, man, going down the backstretch, watching it. It was, a uh, that was a super, super cool pass. Do any wins stand out in your, like any memories or wins stand out for you as, uh, as the most emotional, obviously the first championship was, uh, was pretty special in 2006, but any memorable wins or anything like that? Uh, there's a few, um, actually the most memorable one is when he won the Daytona short track, his first short track. Um, that, that was, that was really special because, you know, Daytona is one of them tracks where everybody loves or hates, but it's always a very exciting place to race. And, um, when he won that, that race, and I think he won it two years in a row, but the first year he won it, it was, it was probably the most memorable. It was, and I think it was for him too. He was really excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime you can win Daytona, that's, that's a big one. That's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh definitely special. Um, as he came through the ranks and he was sort of w- winding down his career, what were your thoughts on him kind of retiring and what advice did you give him? Um, it's just crazy how, how fast time goes. I mean, you know, at one point he's riding a, yeah. a, a mini bike and then winning championships and then, and then he's retired and, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of happens quick. Uh, what were your thoughts on him making that decision? Cause he was still competitive. He was still on the podium and a threat to win races. And, you know, I, I think he won a, I mean, might've won a races last year or so. So, what uh? What were your thoughts on it? Well, there was one thing that we always talked about when he didn't uh, decide to retire, is that once you retire, you retire, you're done. You don't try and come back a few years later or anything, because I think that's that's a dangerous thing to do. Because I don't know how many uh, guys I've seen, you know, they retire and then they come back, you know, when they get a little older and. and uh, you know, they, they, they end up running mid pack or in the back and they end up usually falling off and getting hurt. So we always had kind of like a little agreement when you stop, when you quit racing, that, that, that's it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, no, but he's still, he still ride the amateur stuff and things like that and plays. I mean, I don't think he's rode for a while now, but they, they play all the time. He, they go out and ride some tracks, him and him and Liam and Yeah. And, uh, they still ride. Yeah. What's um what are your uh like he's still involved in the sport and, and you're still involved as well. What do you what do you do with AFT exactly? Um for people listening, because you're always at the AFT races, you're always doing something, working. Um, what do you do now with AFT? Uh as you know, I think you're well, you drive the truck, right? Or what's what's your job? Um, I just drive the truck and haul all the uh, safety equipment around and um, get the air fence out on the track, forklift, and then um, we tear it down at, at night, get it all loaded up, and get everything off the track, get it loaded up, and head to the next racetrack. Yeah, the uh, the boys that help you out, Dylan and Ryan, the, the guys with uh, – uh, Dylan's got a buzz cut and Ryan's got the long hair. They help me out in mini cup, and – they always talk about how much of a how much of a legend Ken Senior is. I'm like, yeah, man, he's pretty awesome. So yeah, they 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 love having they, you there doing it. They all work hard. Everybody <laughs> everybody takes a lot to to get everything set up there. Not just our side, but 
everything that AFT does. Everybody works hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have Brody. So Brody is uh Marsh's son, Marsh and rich. And, and he's, he just moved up to a two fifty. So yeah, you're still at the racetrack. It's uh it's cool that you're able to still come and, and watch Brody ride. And you you know, like I said, Kenny's still at the races. He helps out different riders, uh, rider coach and crew chief. So it's kind of a never ending thing, man. You're just, uh, like, even for me, like I thought, you know, retiring, I'd, I'd go boating with Pat Maroney and we just hang out and drink beer and, <laughs> all the off weekends i'm i'm just still at the track dude and and then i you know it's it's tiresome like during the summer i'm like man i want a weekend off and and now i have weekends off and i'm bored of shit i'm like dude i need something to do so yeah it's a never-ending cycle right i know i tell everybody when when kenny quits i quit but i don't think he's ever going to quit <laughs> <laughs> what else would he do you know it's like a lot of these kids like Kenny and Jake Johnson and everybody, they kind of grew up at the track I mean, it's their comfort zone where you put them out and you put them out in the, uh, in the environment, man. It's like, I don't know, letting, uh, letting a dog loose in the atmosphere, you know what I mean? Or yeah, the atmosphere, <laughs> letting the dog loose out in the Amazon or something. They, they're just so, it's so weird for them, but at the track, it's, uh, I kind of relate it to kids growing up, like a lot of flat track racers, they're kind of nerdy when it comes to like going to school dances or things like that. But you wouldn't know that these guys are the baddest dudes that they go 120, um, at the racetrack. They're so confident. It's like their comfort zone and you throw them out at like a high school party and they're like awkward as hell. It's like, dude, it's the racetrack is their yeah. environment. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. That, that, that's what we do. Um, you know, everybody, has their own thing, but you now it's like Kenny. I I really miss watching him race, but I'm so glad he's done. Yeah, yeah. There's some days where I wish I was out there, and those other days where I'm like, eh, I'm kind of cool here, just watching <laughs> watching the races. So uh, there's some days though where you you definitely want to get back out there. But I I saw Kenny ride last year at Callahan. He was testing with the Turner team, and and uh, he looked good, man. He he really has not looked like he missed a step at all. He he stays in really good shape and, and I'm sure if, if he wanted to, he, he could come back out and, and race. I think that's cool that he still rides. I think that's important for your, for your mental psyche to, uh, just keep riding. I think that's important. So, um, yeah. do you still ride at all too, Mr. Ken? Are you riding, you ride your, your Harley, right? Are you, are you ride any motors like dirt bikes or just your, your Harley or no, no, me and my wife just, we just ride my big old bagger. I used to ride a lot before I started driving these these trucks, but um, we don't uh, we don't do a whole lot. Actually, I'm gonna we're gonna take a ride this weekend. Hopefully, the weather's nice. It usually is here. Sunshine. We've had a week of, of just cloudy and rainy down here. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, maybe we'll get you a wild card to do uh, the bagger at Daytona for uh, the Moto America stuff. Isn't that? Have you watched any <laughs> of those guys? It's crazy. How oh fast. yeah 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 it's uh it, it's fun to watch um <laughs> they uh them big old baggers the, the bags pretty much almost drag on the ground yeah i know it's through the corner it's crazy it's uh i thought i wanted to try it when they started and now they're like they're going as fast as the super bikes do i'm like yeah i'm good i'll yeah. just uh i'll drink beer and watch you guys go around but uh yeah, if you had any advice for uh, any of these parents listening that are getting their kids into racing, or maybe they're halfway through their 
amateur career. I mean, if you had one piece of advice that you would, that you would give or something you see that parents can maybe do better with, uh, with their kids at the track, what kind of advice would you give them? I just say, have fun, make, make it fun. And, uh, the kids will have fun and, and, uh, you know, like I said before, you got to enjoy something to be, to be good at it. So just, just keep it fun and, and see where it takes you. I like that. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it fun. And, uh, you really don't remember like the 50 CC days, the 85 CC days, the results aren't as important as the process like as the learning that you like you, the things you learn through those ranks are more important than the actual trophies and the results. Cause nobody, you know, Kenny's nobody remembers m- many of Kenny's 85 CC races. I mean, I'm sure you do, but, um, but they remember his three championships. They remember him being a factory Harley rider. Um, so I definitely think as a, as an amateur and youth rider, it's more about what you learn through those ranks than all the trophies you get. Cause I mean, how many of his amateur trophies do you guys still have? Do you still have a bunch of them? Um, actually, he he when he moved uh, um, from Connecticut, he <laughs> he had so many trophies, Corey, that um, in the attic and things. He he got a small dumpster and just about filled filled a small dumpster with a lot of his amateur trophies and things. Oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean he he's got so much stuff. Um and, uh, his wife when uh the, the house in Florida here, it was like a museum. His wife had that place set up, it was gorgeous. And same thing, he moved back to Connecticut, so house up there and everything they have is 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 nice. He's got a lot of memorabilia and it, it's pretty awesome to see how uh all the stuff that he has. Yeah, it's like a cool Beth museum. I, I remember the basement in uh in Connecticut where where he was at maybe 10, 15 years ago. It was uh it was so cool to walk around and, and see all the trophies because the trophies back then they were old school looking trophies. And Chris Carr, he's got obviously he's got a few trophies too in his basement. I like to kind of walk around and ask him, like, where'd you get that one? Where'd you get you know, it's just cool to it's cool to kind of keep that stuff. And do you have any of his old leathers or any of his old helmets from when like the green leathers? Do you still have those? I got a couple of old uh, green shirts, and my wife's got uh, a bunch of stuff in in boxes and things that she has in the attic. Um, but no, I don't have any of his leathers. He has all of that stuff: his helmets and leathers and boots and that sort of thing. That's super cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It was uh, really cool to get some insight and background, uh, kind of you guys growing up and and racing together. And it's really cool to see you at the track still. And anybody listening, uh, Mr. Mr. Ken is always kind of at the AFT races. You can catch him at um, like the SDTA races in Florida, watching Brody uh, quite often as well. And it's really cool to have you involved. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. I only had to twist your arm a little bit. I'm like, come on, we got to do it. So I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me. Oh, thanks, Craig. And uh, I guess we'll see you in Daytona. I'll be there. Well, I'll be down there sooner. I'll, I'll be down there, uh, end of December. So I'll be there all winter. So maybe I'll come bug you over at, uh, AFT or something or hit you up for lunch, but, uh, yeah, I'll definitely see you soon. And thanks again. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'll see you at the winter throwdown winter throwdown. All right. I love that. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll <laughs> see you there and thanks for everything you do, man. We appreciate it. All right, Corey. Thanks. 
All right. See ya. Take care. Mr. Ken Coolbest Senior. Oh, that was fun. I loved. I loved every every minute of that. That guy's that guy's super cool. He's he's awesome. All three of these interviews were great, man. And I'm I'm super thankful they all took the time to come on. And it was a lot of planning to uh to get three different people on at three different times and and do the pod here. But uh yeah, it's just a cool part of racing. This you know growing up and so many iconic dads in the sport that I'd love to interview. So I'm sure we'll do another one of these down the road where. We'll interview three more dads, and uh, I know there's a there's a push going for like a mom podcast. So maybe we'll do a racer mom podcast here in the near future as well. So um, yeah, appreciate Nick Daniels, Willie Halbert, Ken Coolbest Senior for coming on the show. Want to make sure we shout out Mission Foods, Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing, Indian Motorcycle, Moto America, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, and Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas for supporting the podcast. Thanks to everybody who subscribes to our patreon account where we do our extra laps episode uh it could be social media fitness suspension motor work steel shoe like we do we talk about the ins and outs take deep dives on different topics within the sport we're going to bring eric back here on the next show to help me do some more interview pods this off season gearing up for winter throwdown january 11th through the 13th 2024 callahan speedway in callahan florida the biggest amateur flat track race you'll you'll go to. It's it's massive. There's so many great riders from all over the country. So many of the top pro riders come out. Thursday, January 11th is our 1v1 bracket racing. We'll do time qualifying. We'll take the top 16, and we'll do one versus one. Best out of three bracket racing on Thursday night. It's a great show. Uh, and then you can sign up for the weekend that day as well. And then we hey, we go racing Friday and Saturday. We we get after it. We got the AMA Major National Championship Series at Winter Throwdown. Top amateur riders and pro riders from around the country will be will be competing. I also want to give a shout out to Travelers Rest Speedway. They are doing their Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving weekend um, event coming up here next week. They're doing a lot of really cool things with that event. It's a featured. AMA National Series, so they will be handing out number one plates for that as well. Uh, Eddie Ray, Jessica Patterson, they do a really good job with that as well. That's November 24th and 25th. It's the half mile both days. Gates open at 10, practice at 2 p.m., and then we go racing after that. Make sure you check them out. Travelers Rest Speedway, www.sc-moto.com. And if you have any questions on that, uh, yeah, on that event as well, hit me up and I'll get you some info, but they're running very similar classes that we do at winter throwdown and they're running a really cool program. So make sure you, uh, if you got nothing going on Thanksgiving weekend, plan your trip and head to travelers rest. It'll be a really good tune up for winter throwdown. So thanks everybody. Um, even if you're not on the Patreon, we appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate everybody that leaves us good reviews on iTunes you subscribe to all the different platforms. You follow us on social media. It keeps us going. It's uh, it's a lot of work to keep this pod going, but we love it. We love to do it, and we love to hear from you guys as well. So with that being said, that's a wrap on this one. Till next time, we out. 